you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. Like we're not going to notice that the price changed. But that's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I told y'all and <laughs> left the story about going to the Tigers game on a little bit longer than I needed to. So obviously it's an update. I'll tell y'all, it went great. The tickets we had were amazing. And uh, we two different spots. They were, you know, they had the picture. And you never know, you know, is that picture going to be, you know, is it, are they zooming in? No, these pictures were great. And, and they're right on there. You click the picture of the section you're in. You kind of get an idea of where you're going to be sitting. It was great. I'm planning a day trip over to Houston to check out a game. And I've been looking for tickets. And they're coming in at five, six, ten dollars in great seats. So SeatGeek does it all for you. Uh, it's the only place I ever go to look for tickets for games and concerts anymore. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the prices fall. Even better, every SeatGeek ticket is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats and before you buy you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat which I mentioned earlier is a great great feature probably my favorite feature but best of all SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price unlike StubHub SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and there's never surprises with huge fees at checkout and guys I got a $20 rebate for you off of your first SeatGeek purchase all you got to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and add a promo code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 349 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, May 25th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? That's good. I could have uh, played a little better, but I guess it was a little better than last week in the Improvement. basketball. Improvement. We like that. Eno's Basketball Diaries. I like Eno's Basketball Diaries. I'm actually I'm actually <laughs> in favor of it, and since I'm the host, I get to, uh, well, I guess get to ensure what? it's brought up. There was a new, there's a new big, tall German. What? Yeah. You guys are playing with Dirk Nowitzki, and he cut and he came in and made me feel bad about myself, just like the old big tall German. So that's rude. Yeah, rude. Exactly. Jeez, he blocked me on three pointers. I was so upset. Oh damn. Yeah. Get that quick trigger going. Get that quick yeah, trigger. I was Back in the gym. Trying to do a little curry. I was actually probably a little bit like Curry. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the recent vintage Curry. Unfortunately, uh, that will curb the basketball talk, though. We're not going to get into the NBA playoffs. Don't worry, y'all. I know Jason and I veer off on football sometimes in the winter, <laughs> but don't worry about it. We're diving right into baseball. There's plenty to talk about, mostly pitchers today, but we got to start with one hitter. It's a great rookie. We're going to get to him in a minute. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We have passed 500 reviews, and we greatly appreciate that. 505. We're still carrying a five-star. 460 of y'all have given us the five-star. We do very much appreciate that. Please leave a review. Let us know what you think of the show. If you got a, if you got a constructive critique, 
leave that as well. We're very open to it. Follow us on Twitter at Sporer, at Eno Saris, at Jason Collette. Now, for that rookie that I mentioned, uh, that I alluded to, it's Mr. Nomar Mazara. And holy cow, holy cow, did he smash one today. Hit a home run 491 feet, according to StatCast. The longest of the season, one of the top... I think one of the top five longest in, since StatCast came out last year. And just to make it even better, if that if that alone wasn't good enough, if you're like, eh, that's all right. First off, relax. But if that wasn't <laughs> good enough for you, it was lefty-lefty. And that that's is, right. I mean, that's I the haven't... most difficult matchup in the game is lefty-lefty. And he has struggled a little bit against lefties, as you would expect any young player to do so. But uh, just a smash job off of Hector San- uh, Santiago for Nomar Mazzara. He's been on fire. He's been absolutely excellent, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the reason that we all try to pick up these rookies is to get something like this, cash out something like this in the bottle. So yep. this is one of the this is one of the high end ones. This is why you you take those risks. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes the guy you know, strikes out too much and he's back in the minors before you can blink. Sometimes the pitchers get roughed up like a Jose Barrios and he has to go back to the minors. That happens. In fact, it happens more often than it doesn't. But when it hits, it's so huge. And Noah Mazzara has really flipped the uh, the Rangers, you know, season on their head in terms of what they're doing in the outfield. Obviously, Shinsu Chu got hurt again. It's not like he's putting anybody great to the bench, but, you know, it, 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 it means that they don't hurt when Shinsu Chu has to go back to the disabled list. So he and Ian Desmond have been excellent in the outfield. They're still kind of working it out in left field, but I love what Nomar Mazar has been doing. Any updates on where you are with his projections the rest of the way? Because I think when we first talked about him, because he got off to a pretty good start, you know, we were a little tepid on the power, I would probably say. I, I, I think, you know, without going back and listening, I would say that we curbed his, his power in the upper teens. And projections right now, all but uh, zips and depth charts have him getting over 20, and Steamer has him still at 18 with 11 more homers the rest of the way. What what do you, what do you see as the as the power output for Mazzara the rest of the way? Uh, it's funny. That's as I think that's actually maybe not going to be the subject of my piece that I'm writing for ESPN Insider tomorrow, but um, it is uh, something I asked him about. I said, "Do you?" You know, consider it a struggle to to put the ball in the air. Do you um, do you do you wish you hit more fly balls? Do you think about fly balls? Because you know he's hitting them like one and a half ground balls per fly ball, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's source of some of his uh, projection. But it's also you know really good for his batting average on balls in play, and uh, really good for his batting average on base percentage. So you know, there's always a give and take there. He said, you know, it was funny because I talked to him a week ago, and he said. That's fine. I've got four homers. The homers will come. I have the power. And, and he's doubled since. Yeah, he's doubled it. So I'd like to take some credit uh, for that. Um, <laughs> I must have uh, goosed him a little bit there. But uh, I think the really, Im- the really important thing for him, if you look early in his career, he had the power, but he struck out a lot. You know, nearly a third of the time in his first go around, and then usually, you know, like close to a quarter the rest of the way. And then in 2015, uh, he really dropped it down. And then, you know, ever since, it's been even lower. So, um, you know, I asked him particularly about that. And I guess it was kind of a twofold thing. And uh, I guess some of this is relevant to his power. He said, the first part he said is that he added a toe tap. And 
it's interesting because if you watch him, he has a toe tap and a leg kick. And not a lot of guys have something that complicated. But what that complication does is allow him to play with the pitcher trying to um, trying to quick pitch him, you know, or, or trying to miss with his with his timing. So if the pitcher is varying the times to the plate, he can sort of tap that toe repeatedly. You know, it's kind of like a toe movement where it's sort of tap, 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 kick, swing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think uh, that has been really good. He said it's really good for slowing him down. I think what he means there is that he can really hone in on the pitcher's timing. Um, He can vary his times easier. He said, you know, sometimes my foot was down too early, sometimes it was down too late. So, you know, with this, he's got more variation on when he can do the leg kick. Um, and I think that's why we should believe his swinging strike rate, should believe his strikeout rate, and should not believe the projected strikeout rates. So um, if you're looking at him as, you know, and, and wondering 270 with 10 homers the rest of the way, I think you really should look at him as like 290, maybe even 300. Because if he's going to give you some of that power back, um, he's going to get that batting average. Uh, yeah, there's going to there's going to be a benefit for Nomar Mazzara if you're not going to get the pop. So bump the batting average threshold, and then if he doesn't meet the batting average threshold, you're probably going to get the pop. So it's it looks like it's going to be a one or the other situation with Mazzara, and I agree with kind of well, leaning toward the batting average. And that was that was the other part was that um, you know I said you know, what do you need to, like, do you think about being aggressive and stuff like that? He said, well, I can be aggressive early in the count. And, you know, and then later in the count, I, I, I want to get, I want to put the ball in play. It sounds like he's pretty advanced for a 21 year old. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the nice things that came out of it is, I mean, they call him the big chill because he's just really relaxed. Um, really, really, yeah, it is actually, I mean, he's really relaxed and just really cool and chill. And I think that's going to serve him well. Um, pretty cerebral, actually, you know, thinking a lot out there. And, um, you know, I looked at it. I have to look at swing rates. But in terms of going oppo, he goes oppo, you know, 24, 25% of the time when um, there's two strikes on him. And then he, he goes oppo 20% of the time otherwise. So there's a little bit of that. I'm going to look at swing rates and see if he um, changes the swing rates with two strikes. But um Lots to like here with Nomar Mazzara. Definitely somebody who, you know, we're, we're about to flip the calendar to June, and some of you are going to be deciding that you just don't have the horses for this year, and you have to start looking toward next year, whether it's your dynasty or your keeper league. And you give anything you got to get somebody like a Mazzara. Obviously, he's performing well, so the team that you're trading with, you know, that they're not necessarily going to be inclined to give him away, but that's when you give the two established stars to get a Mazzara, you know, something like that. And so I think he's somebody that you should be chasing if you're a punting team. Do you agree? Yeah, like, yeah, him and Ozuna, I think, are some of the better Agreed. young outfielders that you could go get. That um, You know, neither one of them is probably going to be a Trout, but, you know, Trout is generational talent. And, exactly. You know, you know, maybe you can, like, you know, try to get Springer. Springer could kind of be like a little bit of a Trout light. Uh, but Springer's going to cost more, and you know there's a good chance that the per- the team with Springer is doing well, you know, and it's just yeah, like and they, there's no real reason for them to give him up. So. Exactly, Mazzara, you know, could still hit the rookie wall at some point, 
And again, if you're coming in with two star established players and, and use the rest of season projections a little bit, you know, I mean, you don't have to say anything. I mean, because saying something like you're, you're right when you say like, oh, look at us, you know, don't say anything. Just let them pull, pull up the Fangraphs page and go, you know what? His rest of season projections aren't that good. So. Yeah. And then and then just say, what, what, what do you want? I got I got a few stars, but I don't have enough to can, compete. I right. want Elmer Mazzara. What do you need? I'll give you team? Fielder. You know, I, I'll, give, I'll give you my my, uh, you know, like my Votto and my and my Felix or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, something. Two, two big pieces that you can really bank on because I think Votto's going to get back on track and, and Felix is going to at least be like a, you know, low to mid three ZRA <laughs> kind of guy. Something like that. But but feel it out. You guys know your leagues better than we do. Keep Dynasty League might be a little bit tougher since you keep everyone. Keeper League where you're only keeping a handful. I think it might even be easier to get get that deal done. But I, I'm chasing down Nomar Mazzara. In some leagues where um, I'm not competing and and where I don't have them, I actually have them in a couple leagues. I'm fortunate enough to have Norman Mazzara, and I feel good about it. All right, now it's pitchers the rest of the way here. Got plenty to talk about. You guys sent him in on Twitter. You know, ask you know who we should who we should write about. And so some of these uh, overlap with that. So you've already got some some interesting thoughts on them, I'm sure. Let's start with Jeremy Hellickson. It's a guy we talked about a while back. Um, can't even really remember because I don't think it was a, a focused. Uh, piece on him i think it was more of just kind of a a drive-by oh there's jeremy helgson doing some things not sure you know it's probably in the cursory of talking about uh velasquez and and nola that that helgson got brought up because he's missing he's missing some bats he's been all right i don't see a ton here and, and it's not like the numbers are jumping off the page anyway with a 397 era but are we back to useful jeremy helgson or are there just too many homers to make the strikeouts worthwhile for him it's funny because, you know, strikeouts minus walks is one of the best in-season predictors. And, you know, he's doing pretty well there. Mm-hmm. 18%, actually a career high. Yeah, career high. Best An average is actually something like 12%. So he's in the upper echelon there, actually. And, um, you know, as bad as his home runs have been this year, he's, he's usually been better than this. So, you know, uh, you could say, you know, he could do better than this better than his projections based on this strikeouts minus walks, but he's had a homer problem his whole life. And I don't like the reason for what happened, you know, like for the improved strikeouts, are they contributing? Are the improved strikeouts contributing to the, uh, to the more home runs? No, but uh, maybe, but I think what he's done is he's replaced some four seamers with cutters. Okay. Um, and so you're like, okay, you know, new pitch, strikeouts minus walks, everything is cool. Uh, the problem that I have, though, is that the new pitch isn't good. Uh, it's a really weird uh, pitch in that it's a cutter, but it goes 85 or something. Let me see. Uh, I can. Yeah, we've got it at 84 flat. Yeah, 80, 84. That's that's pretty slow for a cutter, and yet it doesn't have the depth of a cutter. So. It's like an 84 mile an hour fastball. It's not like it has the depth of a slider. Like it doesn't have the depth of a slider, and it has the speed of a slider, is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. you got an 84 mile an hour cutter that has the depth of uh, of a of a cutter, and and so it basically is an 84 mile an hour fastball. I mean, it, yeah, it has a little bit different movement, but it's 84 mile an hour fastball. It's not a slider. So his search for a good breaking ball, I think, sort of continues. And, you know, if you look at the whiff percentages, uh, his curveball's all right. And maybe he could just do okay with the curve and a change. But that would be 
old uh, Helixson. And new Helixson, you know, has a bad bad four seam, um, okay two seam he's been breaking out this year, and basically just an average cutter that, you know, by movement and velocity should be less than average. So, I don't know. I, I think the home runs also, it's like the worst ballpark he's played in for home runs. Other than, I mean, the last two, and those have been the last worst home run rates of his career. I I don't know. I think this is the best he can do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and, it, and it maybe, does look like a peak for, for Helixson. If he can, like, continue this, then he's going to be, like, sort of borderline useful. But um, I don't know. I just see more aggression. I don't really see a reason to buy in. If it was like a slider, if that thing, if that thing had the depth of a slider, then I would say, okay, you know what? Now he has three secondary pitches, and he's going to keep that whiff rate up, and you know this, that, and the other thing. But you know, not a really good ground ball rate, home run problems, uh, and uh, a new pitch that isn't that great. I think, I think that sort of sums it up. Okay, let's move over to John Lackey because. Uh... I think a lot we're, we're projecting you know, some natural regression for him. Probably not that surprising. The 277 ERA matched with a 121 whip last year really suggested that that ERA uh, should go up. And it has. But the whip has actually come way down to .95. And that actually matches a lot more with a 277 ERA. So maybe his ERA should be better. The strikeouts are way up. There's a swinging strike rate boost to go with it. There's a lot to like in what we've seen out of John Lackey. I know he's 37 years old, but he's on a great team. Um, it, it's hard not to feel good because, again, you didn't have to pay much for him. You, you just haven't had to. Ever since his, his post-TJ renaissance, he hasn't cost, it hasn't cost much because uh, older pitcher and the expectations were low after the two dreadful seasons, 2010 through 2011. So where do we stand on John Lackey currently with some skills improvements at the ripe old age of 37? You know, this okay. You have to use like their whole career as context because I'm about to say something that's going to sound a lot like what I talked about with Helixson, and yet I still I believe in Lackey. So, so what is Lackey doing that's better this year? He's throwing his changeup more. His changeup is bad, but he's throwing it more and it's working. And this is why I think it's a little bit different. His arm slot is dropping a little bit. And that's given him more movement because, uh, you know, the lower your arm slot goes, the more horizontal movement you get. Mm-hmm. And his arm slot dropping a little bit has given him more horizontal movement on his change in a sinker. And if you look at his, his usage, uh, he's adding, you know, more sinkers uh, the last couple of years and also, uh, you know, second highest changeup usage ever this year. And I just think it's like kind of a wrinkle that people don't expect from him. You know, I think the book on Lackey is so thick that people don't even look at it anymore. You know, everyone's like, okay, I got it. Fastball slider. If I'm a lefty, the occasional back foot curve. Uh, that's it. I got it, you know. Uh, but now with the two-seamer and the change, he's doing some front door sinkers. Um, and uh, and he's using that change up more. And, you know, that's what's gotten him to his best swing strike rate ever. And, you know, we know he has great command. And he's never had the, the home run problem. He's had some home run problems, but he's never had the home run problems that Helixson has had. So I, I think it's, you know, somebody might roll their eyes and say, well, he just said the same thing, you know, for two different guys for two, within, within the context of two different arguments and, mm-hmm. you know, said he hated one like the other. But, I mean, just look at John Lackey. I mean, look at the last four years. This worst ERA was 382. 
with a 128, and that included some American League time. You know, since he's moved to the National League, he's got an ERA around three and a whip around one. I mean, I don't, I don't really understand it. And he's 37 years old, but you know, one of the things he does really well is is, is he shares with Johnny Cueto. He he does he really messes with people's timing. So you've got a guy who really messes with people's timing, has plus command. These are two things you really can't um, necessarily. Um, uh, quantify so easily. And then, you know, plus plus slider maintained his velocity into his into his old age. I mean, he's really done a good job. He's he's defying aging curves when it comes to velocity. So yeah, he's definitely a, a positive outlier, Don Lackey is in terms of just looking flat at age, it's gonna lead you astray. And look at those projections, man. He's golden. I mean he's like He's maybe not an ace because every like the aces now get like you know two eight ERAs, <laughs> um, which is just amazing. Like I remember, I started playing in the steroid era, so uh, I remember, you know, I, I if I if you given me a guy with a he had a two seven seven ERA last year, I would have. Oh God. If you give me him in like uh, the in like the mid the early two thousands, yeah. yeah. I would have been like, whoa, John Lackey. I, I still, kidding? every once in a while, have a, like a, a moment of weakness where I'm on, on the waiver wire of a 12-team league and I see like a 388 ERA and I'm like, I have to pick this guy up automatically. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necess- like the, the Helixson numbers that we were just talking about, 397 and a 124. That would have been fine. That's a third it- starter in back in the day when, when we really got going playing uh, fantasy baseball. But we've had to adjust. And now it's just kind of okay. It's it's, it's it's all right. And John Lackey, I'm I'm with you. I'm more pro on John Lackey than I am Hellickson, even though he's older. Just the team context, the skills that he's showing, just lots to like with Lackey. Uh, this next guy, I've already you know done my mea culpas for panicking on him too quickly. I, I I don't think it was completely out of bounds to do so, given his age as well, and the fact that his spring training looked so much like his his previous seven or eight was it his eight seasons where he just couldn't stick in the majors. But yeah, I panicked too early on Rich Hill. Uh, I was saying, you know, nope, uh, red alert, move on. I'm done. I'm scared, and uh, you know, I, overly scared. And since that debut, which he was pushed up on because Sonny Gray had food poisoning. Since then, Rich Hill has a 196 ERA, 62 strikeouts in 55 innings. Mm-hmm. He's got 20 walks, but 40 hits. So, yeah, he'll give up some walks. Three, three of those are, are four walk outings. Two others are three walk outings. So that's part of uh, Rich Hill's game, but he doesn't give up hits. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, yeah, no, two days ago, excuse me, at Seattle, he didn't walk anybody but gave up eight hits. So it's almost like a trade-off. It's like if you don't want the walks, then you're going to get the hits. So might as well just kind of it, – it ends up being a balance. And frankly, I'd almost rather take walks than hits because those are guaranteed to be one base, whereas hits can obviously be one, two, three, or four bases. So I don't know. You know, I, I am usually leery of walks, but with this many strikeouts and and this ability to, to kind of keep hitters off balance and, and um, you know induce some weak contact – I kind of like what I'm seeing out of Rich Hill. Where, where are we at? What's the latest with the with the lefty 36-year-old? And uh, additionally, uh, is he going to be traded for sure or 100%? <laughs> well, you know, the, he's one of those ones where the eye test, I think, uh, really hurts you because he has really bad fastball command. Uh, it's not it a good fastball. And what's that? It can be laboring to watch him. 
Yeah, and and so there's a lot of like three two counts and and a lot of pitches, and you know even if you sort of scan his 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 surface stats, a ten point five percent swinging strike rate with ten strikeouts per nine. There's some seems something off there. Uh, most of the guys that have that kind of uh, of strikeout rate have like fifteen percent swinging strike rate. So <clears throat> it seems like a little bit weird, but what he does is the same thing that Drew Pomerantz does, which is just throw the curveball in the zone. And you're screwed because if you swing on the curveball in the zone, uh, it's a whiff 10% of the time, and then it's a grounder 60% of the time, and it's a pop-up another 2% of the time. So basically it's an out 70% of the time. Yeah, that's that's nice. That's a nice little uh... – That's swing. And if you don't swing, 60% of the time it's a strike because wow. he throws that many in the zone. He's just filling up the zone with curveballs, and he has probably better command of the, of the curveball in the zone. And then, you know, he changed his arm angle, changed his spot on the rubber, and has. there's a great Q&A. Uh, Tim Britton is doing some Q&As at Baseball Perspectives, and there's a great Q&A with him where he, um, he he kind of talks about spin rates and, and lining up the spin rates on his curve and his, and his fastball. And so I think it's a little bit sort of fancy talk for, you know, kind of having the high fastball um, and, and, you know, having that eye level up top and then, you know, sort of bringing those curveballs in, looking sort of like those fastballs for as long as possible, and then, you know, dropping way out of the bottom. So, um, and, and not so way out of the bottom, just dropping to the bottom of the zone where there's still strikes sometimes. So I think, um, I think uh, it looks sustainable to me. There's no crazy BABIP. The only thing that's that I would worry about is the health of his arm. You know, it's a lot of curveballs, 40, 42% curveballs, uh, and, you know, in his career, times when he was over 50% with the curveballs just means that I think it's a, it's a decent amount of stress on the arm and, um, you know, and the shoulder and stuff. And these are things that have gone, like, have hurt for him in the past. And yeah, injuries have, have also been a, a problem for Rich Hill. 2007 was the last time, was the only time he had anywhere near 200 innings. Yeah, and it looked like he was about to take off as a 27-year-old, and... We barely heard from him again until last year. And even then, we based a lot on four starts. Yeah, yeah. And he was, like, playing indie ball in Milton, oh, yeah. where I went to high school. And, you know, uh, I, it was I, bad. I, think... I mean, it, it, there, there was no reason to believe that he was going to have a career renaissance the way he has. But Rich Hill has, has as you mentioned, really focused on on the curveball. Brian Bannister, former player and now um, leading leading pitching analyst for the Red Sox, he's credited with with helping Rich Hill quite a bit. And I mean, he's been fantastic now. And now now it's 14 starts. Now we now we don't just get to say oh four starts. You know, it's, it's 14 starts uh, dating back to last September. And he's been he's been a standout. He hasn't just been good. Rich Hill's been a standout in those 14 starts. Yeah, I think him and Pomerantz, I think the question that you're just having is which one is going to stay healthier longer. Um, and I think, you know, maybe Pomerantz will stay healthier longer. I mean, he's certainly younger, fewer miles on the on the, on the the uh, arm. Uh, he's had his own health problems, of course. Uh, but And I think a knuckle curve, to me, just seems like a little bit less um, risky than... Uh, than uh, than a, like a big old sort of overhand curve. I mean, the knuckle curve, you basically it's all in the grip and you just throw it straight. So uh, I think I would take I would put Palmer. I think I'd put Palmer Anson Hill neck and neck wherever I put him in the rankings. Probably 
sort of, you know, because I think the health risk is decent enough to wonder about the innings uh, that you would project going forward, I think I'd probably put them in the sort of uh, three bucket, even though their results are really good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how many innings can you really trust to have from them? Can you trust them to be there for your H2H finals and stuff like that? talking so, about Hill and Pomeranz. Both of them, yeah. yeah. So I think I'd probably put them in the sort of 30 to 40 bucket where, they're, you know, good, good pitchers. You know, you would you would expect to put them higher based on their results. Based on numbers alone, yeah. But then add uh, add in the age for Hill as well. Yeah. Okay. Next up is Doug Fister, and you know, here's the thing. I, I don't know how this is definitely a deep league play only. I don't think there's much for anybody in a shallow league, maybe even like a 15 team mix to necessarily look at. It might be those 18, 20 team mixers and AL only leagues, but. Credit where it's due. After getting roughed up by KC for six earned runs in five and two-thirds, uh, Doug Fister is one out away last night from seven straight quality starts. And they aren't all six and three. Now, there's a there's a lot of them that are six and three because even in the midst of that, you know, he, he's got uh, just a couple times even getting into – even finishing seven innings. So, But a 327 ERA in his last seven starts, it's just – so brutal on the strikeouts 22 strikeouts in 44 innings 16 walks that's the thing too is walks have actually gone up a good bit when, when he was kind of doing the same thing with uh with washington back in 2014 where he wasn't really getting any strikeouts he wasn't walking anybody it was 5.4 strikeouts 1.3 walks this year it's 4.9 strikeouts and three walks per nine so Again, deeply, deeply consideration only for Doug Fister. But are you seeing anything w worth worrying about even in those deep leagues? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, if they're in it, I, I almost want to talk about team factors because his swing strike rate is so bad. His strikeout rate is so bad. His strikeout minus walk rate is so bad. His home run rate is so bad. His stuff is so bad. <laughs> Damn. He, he, he was like. His height is good. He's really he tall. Just, yeah, he's just tall. It looks a little bit like Spore. Uh, woo, go Doug. Huh? No? I said, woo, go Doug. <laughs> but uh, he was 80. I thought he was like 89, 90 for a second in spring, and that's that's he the was. last time and, I, I had a thought about Doug Fister. But, yes. Um, I, I would say that the, the real question in those deep leagues where you, you want just like okay innings is, is he going to stay in the rotation? And I think that, uh, I think the I think the answer is no because if the Astros make a run, his position is like one of the easiest spots to upgrade. Absolutely, and he's been and in the bullpen before. And if they don't, his position is the easiest spot to look at. Go get Devensky again, mm -hmm. you know, and give him a shot for the rest of the season and see what he can do. I mean, it can't be much worse than this. Hell. They could give – I think they really like him in, in the bullpen, but they could give Michael Feliz a chance o over Fister at this point and just, and just swap those two. I mean there's a lot of ways that they could go. If they don't do a trade, they can dip into the minors. There's just a – he has to be on the chopping block at all points right now, Doug Fister does, even though he's pitching well. You know, he's got that veteran presence. I still think that they could use him in the bullpen, but he's best off probably as a, as a multi-inning reliever at this point. Yeah, yeah, like, like so, a one plus two inning sort of guy once through the lineup. Yeah, I mean, you know, he could drop a pitch or you know maybe get crack ninety. 
Um, break a plate glass uh, window in, in <laughs> the bullpen, even though it bounced off when he's in the rotation. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's okay. I, listen, it sucks because it was it was fun when Doug Fister was good because he, he, he did kind of – Kind of do it in a, in a non-traditional way. He's really good with the Tigers. Had that great year with Washington. Uh, you know, wound up holding his own ERA-wise last year, but the skills were were really bad. And said that that 4.19 ERA what was fortunate. And the same thing's happening this year. He's got a 4.12 ERA, but the ERA indicators are actually pushing five at this point. So I don't even know if I really like him in those deep leagues because yeah, sometimes you just need innings with a pulse or at least you might feel that you do but isn't it almost worse to take the brutalization that he could deliver in those in those deeper leagues than if you were to do it in in a 15 team mix you know because at least in a 15 team mix you could maybe come back from it but if you if he (laughs) he ends up getting devastated for a handful of starts and you know three innings six runs twice in a row in an al only that's going to be really difficult to dig out of that hole. So I'd rather have a middle reliever, to be honest. I think we, I think we just discovered uh, why my AL labor team is in last place. <laughs> God, it is. It's true. And you think that the stakes are a little bit lower because everyone's ERA will be higher, but in in a way they're higher because it's harder to climb out of the the hole there. Exactly, and so that that that's why I, I worry about even rostering somebody like a Fister, and so yeah. that's a pass for me. All right, now we got three other guys here that that we're going to update on because these are guys that we have talked about recently. But I want to know what you're thinking on them, and and they were also some of the names that were mentioned when you were when you were asking uh, who you should write about. And we haven't really heard people saying too much about Aaron Sanchez since his early. Uh, early season, you know, spring training was nice, and then he he got out of the gates looking pretty good. But he's still been pretty solid. I mean, he's not dominating, but you look at a 3.20 ERA and a 1.22 WHIP, that definitely plays. The strikeouts aren't aren't going to blow you away with uh, 52 in his 59 innings, but he's a couple big games away from being right at at one per inning. And and the walks again, 3.2 doesn't jump off the page. But from where he's come from, last year he was at 4.3, so he's cut a full walk off of his rate. I'd say it's a pretty solid year so far for Aaron Sanchez. Now, he still does have a platoon split with a with a 110-point uh, OPS split, but it's only a 704 OPS for lefties this year against Aaron Sanchez, so that's a lot more manageable than the 878 that they clubbed him for last year. What's going on with Sanchez? Are we seeing a, a breakout year here, and is there room for more? Um, the, uh, I think this is it. I think this is, this is what he can do. And, you know, I think the command is the real question because, uh, you know, the change isn't, you know, his best pitch. It's the curve and the, and that nasty, nasty sinker. But, um, you know, the change is good enough, I think. And so the question is, can he command it? And he's, he has, he's had some trouble, you know, here and there. Uh, but I think that you know strikeouts minus walks is going to underrate him a little bit because he has that sixty percent ground ball rate. Yeah, and, that's a good point. You know he's he's definitely going to at times instead of going for the strikeout take the ground ball. And at sixty percent ground balls, you could actually um, you know ask him to you could say that that uh, BABIP that he's got is actually sustainable. So you wouldn't have to necessarily buy the projections that are that are beefing up that BABIP two eighty five BABIP if you've got a sixty percent ground ball rate is about right. 
Yeah, you, um, can, you can even live in the 270s reasonably when you're up at that high of a level of ground ball rate. So I could yeah, almost I mean, see it going the other way, down, as opposed to the projections could, pushing it, it back toward 300. I mean, uh, but yeah, safe, safe bets say leave it at 285. And, and Sierra, I think Sierra is a better look here than any of the other numbers because Sierra does actually make that link between ground ball rate and lower BABIPs. Um, and so if you look at his Sierra, he has a 360 Sierra. Um, and yeah, his FIP is, is 331, so you could look there. But I think 360 is the safest. It's better than all of his projections. And I think it's, uh, it's a good number to look if you want to look at sort of not worst case scenarios, but like, you know, if you want to look at a number that makes sense, that's not the projections. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, is kind of a sober look at what he could do. Now, the the less sober look is, you know, he's got that crazy sinker. Uh, he could push that ground ball rate. Um, you know, even maybe tamp the babbit down a little bit, and maybe you know show some improved control. So that's why I come back to the control because he's he you know he's had some blow-ups and in each of the blow-ups well there's one blow-up where he didn't have a lot of walks against Oakland but um you know the last blow-up we had six runs at Texas uh he had four walks in that one and the one before that he had five strikeouts and five walks against the Giants so you know there's there's definitely uh some of that control problem coming back and you know he told I don't know he didn't tell me that but he he told someone that he added weight um, and that was going to help him repeat his delivery and improve his command. And he did add the weight, but I saw the dude, and he's a skinny dude. Yeah, think- it was it was a big deal in spring training. I, I remember even Marcus Stroman sending out picks saying my 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 boy beefed up and all that sort of stuff. Um, he, I could tell he was bigger, but it wasn't like he was yoked. Aaron Sanchez wasn't exactly, you know, looking like the Rock. But us skinny guys. You know, I'm gonna give him some love. He did. He did put on some muscle. Yeah, he did. Uh, but I think he's the kind of guy. When I talked to um, when I talked to Brandon McCarthy about his weight, he said, you know, I had to put on a lot of weight in the in the winter because I'm the kind of skinny guy that loses weight. Loses it. Yep. And I, I and I, I hear a lot of guys say that there there are some guys who can keep the weight on during the season or even add more uh, weight because they're not able to work out as much uh and, and so you know the kind of guys that eat and, and get bigger will get bigger during the season but a lot of these guys are freakish athletes and for the most part they're the high metabolism rate guys that are you know that are going to lose the weight and um if, especially if they can't get into the weight room as much as and they can't do that during the during the season so i, I think he's going to lose that weight i don't know if the command like and the weight are like so intertwined that he's definitely his walk rate's going to go up, but I guess that part of uh, the projections is a part that is a little bit risky, um, and, and maybe believable having him go up to like four walks per nine from three point two. Um, so I don't know. I think uh, I think there is risk here, but I like him. I like so, him a lot. I think that 60% ground ball rate is r- a really nice soft landing for him. Means that, you know, you don't have to look too hard at other things. I think if you like Stroman, you know, why not like Aaron Sanchez in a way? You know, exactly. maybe Stroman has slightly better command and maybe his breakers are a little bit better. But, uh, I mean, he's doing a lot of the same things that Stroman's doing. So, 
And they also a huge prospect too. So it's not even like one of them came out of nowhere. They were both really big prospects. So I think we like Lackey Hill and Sanchez the best of, of the guys we talked about. We have two more to talk about. Who do you like best of the of that trio? The rest out of, of out of Hill, Lack- Lackey, and Sanchez, who I, I believe are our three favorites here. Well, I never I, I mean I honestly I never thought I'd say this, but I think John Lackey. I I, I, I echo that a million percent. Because his floor has got to be higher than all of them. Exactly. The floor for Rich Hill is injured. The floor for Aaron Sanchez five is like walks. a 3.75 ERA and, and bad walks. So by floor, you definitely go with Lackey. Now by ceiling, I mean, he had a 2.77 ERA last year. I don't, And I don't see enough swinging strikes coming out of Sanchez to say, oh, yeah, Sanchez could get a strikeout per inning. So Sanchez is third in both floor and ceiling, I think. And Rich Hill's ceiling is better than John Lackey's, but then there's then you have to factor in that risk. So yep. I think I would go Lackey, Hill, Sanchez. I think Sanchez, for me, is a little bit more closer to 50, but definitely top 75, so definitely mixed league starter. Um, I don't even know. I, I think you could play the when to start him game a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, the blow up. In Texas, you could have avoided that. That could have been one. You wouldn't have avoided the blow up against Oakland at home, probably. No, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, unless you were just saying that you're not starting Sanchez at home, but I don't know that I would necessarily play that game either. So yeah, I, I think you got one that. run against Boston in Boston. So let's say you you tried to not play him in the hard ones. Would you play him at Texas at home? And maybe I don't know. I think maybe you play him at Texas at home just because he's home. Everyone's better at home. Yeah. So, so you'd be even, though, because you would have taken the, the Oakland hit. Um, and you, you would have would've... lost the Texas one. Yes. And, and but then... you would have also lost the one-run game against Boston. That, that's, what, um, that's what I meant, even, then. Yeah, is that yeah. you, in terms of sitting him on the road, you would have lost the, the Texas one. Great. You feel great. But then you would have lost that great seven innings, one run. And he so... even had four walks. That was one of his big walk games. But he only gave Boston two hits. And that was, that was back on April 17th. When they were they when they were okay, but they weren't as beastly as they've been right now. Now now I'm not starting very many guys in Boston at this point. That that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's a lineup, man. Uh, yeah, there's not. Too, I mean, my studs, yeah, but anything beyond you know like a, the strong number twos, I'm just not starting in Fenway. Now this next guy, you probably compare him to Doug Fister right now. I, I'm just kidding. It's Matt Harvey. Uh, gotta talk talk, Matt Harvey not very nice I know and listen nobody was higher on Matt Harvey than I was coming into the year so this is a bummer man he's just been he's just been brutal I I had him as the third best pitcher in the game I NL Cy Young that ain't gonna happen I can already I can already book that one I'll put that one down in ink and you know through the first seven starts it was a, okay, he's a little bit off, but it wasn't devastating. Even with a 450 ERA, it was like, okay, that third time through is getting him. Maybe there's a stamina situation. He just is a mechanical f- uh, flaw away. And then these last three, it has just snowballed. Five, six, and five earned runs. In fact, uh, the middle one there with the six, it was actually nine runs, only six of them earned. The last two were against Washington. The first of those was at Colorado. It's been awful. And then, of course, yesterday didn't face the media, and so he got a bunch of heat for that. It's obviously made doubly or triply worse by being in New York because everything just gets inflated there. 
I don't even know what to say at this point. They, I think they've already said that they're not taking him out of the rotation. He is going to start against the White Sox, his, ne- his scheduled next time out. Does he not need a phantom DL stint here? Is this more of a mental thing at this point? What, what's going on with Harvey? What are you seeing, you know? You know, I wrote a whole piece for the front of Fangraphs about this, and I and I went through my toolbox, which is just, you know, location. It was movement, uh, pitch mix, velocity, location, you know, all the stuff you guys hear me talk about here. And the weird thing is that he's not that far off. I mean, he's he's obviously not that far off because he's gotten he's getting the whiff rates. Uh, and people make a big deal out of the velocity, but it's only a little bit worse than you would have expected. I looked at the aging curves for velocity, and you know between 27 and 28, or what is it? You know, I think he's 28 now. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Let me see. No, he's 27. 27 between 26 and 27, you would have expected to lose like 0.6 miles an hour, and uh, you know he's lost like. Uh, well, it kind of depends on where you look, but. Uh, I think uh, it's better to look at uh, pitch FX here than BIS because BIS lumps all the fastballs together, and that's a little dangerous. So uh, I think he's lost 1.2 miles an hour. Uh, so it's a little bit worse than, than usual, but you know he played late into the season. We saw DeGrom dealing with this. Um, and you should he should be able to be a good pitcher at 94. You know, it's like it's not, yeah. you know, 94 is not bad. It's still really good. It's now, a loss, but it's a loss to a level that is still damn good. Right, and then if you look at his swing strike rate, it's down like a tick. But you know his his walk rate isn't isn't terrible. It's just all you know batting average on balls in play and home runs per nine, and to some extent his slider is being spanked. And yes, I could find in the location of the slider some issues. Like he's instead of hitting the outside corner to righties with the slider. He's either floating it up high in the zone or burying it in the dirt. So, yes, uh, with the slider, he's got something going. He learned the slider when he got to the big leagues. So he's not been throwing the slider forever. He learned the slider when he got to the big leagues uh, from Dan Worthen. And so I think, you know, I think hidden in that is a lot of a lot of hope because Dan Worthen is still his pitching coach. And Dan Worthen is the king of that slider. So, you know, they just need to work together. I think Harvey's being humbled by this situation mm-hmm. and – you know, he's going to, you know, talk to, I think he's talking to Worth and he's trying to smooth out his mechanics. There's some mechanical issue there. Um, and uh, I think that those mechanics will help him a little bit more with command of his breaking stuff and, um, and command in general. And they're necessarily going to uh, help him get velocity back. So um, I think he's fixable, man. I think, uh, you know, the pitches are still there. He's still got a lot of pitches. I think maybe he'll need to throw the fastball less. I think he needs to think about hiding the fastball a little bit, um, <clears throat> mixing up his sequencing. Because if you look, he's he's actually pretty decently fastball heavy still. Um, you know, if you look at his pitch counts, you know he's over sixty percent with the four seam. So that means that all of his other stuff is 10, 10 percent. You know, it's not. There's no. <clears throat> there's no real risk. I think you know a lot of times it's fastballs and fastball counts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in the in the past, he could throw it real hard, and uh, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be a big deal. But now he can't throw it as quite as hard. So I think now he needs to surprise him. Oh, here's a slider, and here's a slider I can command. So maybe that's the big thing that's going to turn on is he's going to find command of that slider, and then he can use the slider, which is a hard slider and still like 90 miles an hour. Use that to uh, to surprise them in these fastball counts, and then you'll start to see you know more whiffs again. 
uh, more strikeouts, not necessarily a ton more whiffs, because his slider is not really used for whiffs. So What's I the, think you'll see more strikeouts, more ground balls. Um, and that's and been a big deal, it, too. His ground ball rate has, has, has dropped eight percentage points. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really, they're lifting his slider. They're lifting his fastball when they couldn't in the past. And uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, but it's not, um, I don't know. He's still getting those whiffs, man. He's still got the pitch. He's still 94 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. He's so close to being, he's so in terms of temporal, like he was last year, he was great, you know? You know he's not like last year, he was great, and last year he was 34, and now he's 35. Exactly. You know? This, Last year he was 26, and now he's 27. So I think, <clears throat> I think um, I'm I'm not so worried about it. I think I think I'd be a little bit more about, worried about Chris Archer. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and and this comparison is being used a lot, but I like it. Look at what Strasburg was at a year ago. This time, uh, right right in the midst of May, he was toting a 6.50 ERA which uh, I think is exactly what Matt Harvey's at now. No, 608 for Matt Harvey. So Strasburg was even a bit worse. Uh, we knew that now there were injuries. Now, I don't know if Harvey's hiding an injury because I, I don't put it past him, though. He, he definitely has that, that tough guy, my cheese. No, I can do it. I can, I, can, I can play through it, whatever. But it was clear that Strasburg had some injuries. He goes on the DL the first time, comes back, looked great for a couple starts, but had to go back on the DL again. And then that second time that he got off the DL, which was early August, he went on a run and he was back and he's been back since. And honestly, that's why I'm, I'm just not sure that, uh, that the thing that Harvey needs right now, I'm, I'm not sure that it's not just a break. Uh, if yeah. Skip start yeah. or a phantom DL. You know, like when you're talking about that slider command stuff, I mean, how much of that is confidence? Like, instead of you know having the confidence that you can hit that outside corner and just sort of letting it go or um you know yanking it and putting it in the dirt because you you're like oh i, I want to make sure i get it down mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so i think there is a confidence factor there the problem is i think you know if you didn't put him in the dl i think one of the things that you could do is uh you know go to a six man or something like that yeah, um, exactly bring Verret in for a couple rotations and then, you know, give him an extra day of rest and stuff. However, he said in the past he hates the six man. Well, and uh, I think and it, that kind of, kind of, you know, I think that kind of goes into the, the whole thing about how uh, he didn't talk to uh, he didn't talk to reporters and got really messed up for that. I think his past is is sort of coming back to haunt him a little bit here because I think they could go to six man if they didn't think that he would hate it or, or if he's still saying that he hates it. And. It's literally coming. His chicken is really literally coming home to roost because he never talks to reporters. I mean, he really rarely talks to reporters. So you know, I, I didn't like writing a piece saying, you know, oh, um, you know, why did, um, you know, you know, he there's a there's a hit job on him basically out there that you know he he's not being a professional, blah blah blah, and, and you know, Mad Dog went nuts on him for not being a professional. I get that, and I, yeah. in some ways, I agree. Like, I do think it's unprofessional to not talk, yeah. and I think it's 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 uh, actually negotiated into the um, collective bargaining agreement, so it's actually it is actually part of their job. But uh, it seems very hypocritical to not say anything when he's doing great because you oh you think you might still get something from him, and then turn on him when things aren't doing well. Um, and that's I think what's going on here, and I think a lot of people I think. You know, his personality has rubbed people, a lot of people the wrong way, and so they're kicking him when he's down. Um, but uh, I think he'll, he'll, 
The Dark Knight will rise again. I I I Sorry. hope you're right. No, I'm fi- I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I still like the Dark Knight thing. You know, I'm not really fine. With it. I think it's a little it's bit. A, it's a terrible nickname. Why? Why? You don't like it? <clears throat> I mean, okay he's a little bit it. dark, but I'm okay know, with it. I, what's that? Is he Batman? I don't get it. I don't know. I, I, I guess I, you know it does work with the fact that he likes to party hard, and uh, and you know that that was part of the whole the whole Batman thing, but. And and of course that all gets brought up when you're struggling as well, you know. Does he party too much, etc. All that sort of stuff. So could look a little fat, but I, I mean, he definitely really looked out of shape. Like looking at him and like just being like, oh yeah, he's fat. You know, what if he got bigger? I don't know. Like what if he like worked out to get bigger? Like exactly. But then the the piece with that though that that matched up was the fact that he wasn't making it. You know that third time through was really starting to get yeah. it. So yeah. it was starting to look like a stamina issue. So I don't know. I thought it. Gave... I mean, that's what you could do with the Phantom DL standard and everything is like is just uh, just give him rest and say you know get some like get some like work out you know like, yeah exactly work out hard and do better <laughs> like slim, get, get slim better. down and see if uh see if that helps yeah oh well well la- last guy here a guy that that uh, you've definitely backed in the past and uh you know had me give a second look to a while ago and so i've been on that train with you i jumped on you're the conductor but i jumped on the train the nicholas tropiano train and he's been solid um you know he's not having as good of a year as the 286 era might suggest because he's walking too many guys and giving up a few too many homers and the 147 whip certainly tamps down the uh, the effect of that ERA, but it's hard not to like a lot of what he's doing. The swinging strike rate's up another percentage point. There's swing and miss capability. It's one of the bright spots in in the busted Angels rotation. What what's going on with with your boy Tropiano here? How how you feeling about him so far? I think he's. Um... I think I think he's doing well. I think that there's a little bit of the bad fastball situation with him. He's got uh, below average fastball velocity for a right-hander, and you know I think that leads to you know not a very high fastball percentage. It's below 50 percent. We were just talking about you know Matt Harvey throwing like 60 plus percent, and uh, I think that leads to a little bit lower zone percentage. It means he's sort of dancing, nibbling. Um, the league average zone percentage is 47. He's at 42. Um, but he can combat that. I think his first strike rate right now, it's just it's like basically league average. I think he could really pump that up a little bit. Because if he can get strike one, then all of his pitches are on the table, and he doesn't have to necessarily throw another fastball. Um, so <clears throat> I like what he's doing. I'll take the steamer projection. Maybe even... Throwing a little upside on top of it. The steamer protection is 372 with a 125 whip and eight strikeouts for nine, eight plus. I think uh, in Angel Stadium, you know, if he figures out how to dance around and add some first strikes in there and stuff, you know, he doesn't, he could get that home run rate a little bit closer to one, you know, get that walk rate under three or closer to three and have maybe like a three, five, three, six. It's it's back end material for mixed leagues. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should fall too much in love with that ERA because, like you said, I think one of the simplest things is, uh, you know, either strikeouts minus walks, in which he's basically average. Um, and yeah, he's uh, got the, he got that high walk rate right now, so he's at twelve percent. And that's inflating his his strikeouts per nine a little bit because if you look at his percentages, it's twenty two percent strikeouts, ten point five percent walks. That's a twelve. I mean, 22.3, so basically 12% strikeouts minus walks, and 
League average is about 12%. Yep, it's actually right on 12%. Um, I was looking at something about league average earlier. And yeah. so I can confirm that you are 100% right. It is 12%. So, so. so you know, it, you know the, the, the strikeouts for nine make them look a little better. But the swing strike rate is nice, 12.6. I mean, we were talking about Rich Hill having 10 strikeouts per nine with a 10-point swing strike rate. And now he, in Tropiano, has a 12.6% swing strike rate and only uh, 8.7, 8. 8.8 strikeouts per nine. So, uh, you know, you could push that strikeout, the strikeout total up a little bit as he sort of figures out what order to put his pitches in and stuff. But the nice thing about him is, he has a splitter, a regular change, and a curveball, and they're all good. The curveball at 80 miles an hour, that's hard for a curveball. That's a good curveball. So, you know, all in all, it's a good it's a good mix other than the sort of bad fastball. And the bad fastball just limits him to being, I would say, like a mixed league three. Okay. Uh, maybe, you know, deep league, I think, you know, I think just a three in general. I mean, if you make in a deep league, you could, like an AL only, he could be or two or something, but... Um, you know, then the, the whip comes in and, and all that stuff. So I, I think uh, we should be happy with this. I, I think that for a guy with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, this is a really nice outcome, and um, he's doing pretty well. So, I, the, the history suggests that the walk rate can get better. That's it just, Wow, you read my mind. Because, yeah, Tropiano, he, yeah. he walked a lot fewer in, in both of his samples, um, the one with the Astros in 2014 and then last year in 38 innings, he was at 6%. And, and like you said, he's at 11% this year. So – if there's some He's not really there. making it deep into games. They're probably, you know, pulling them out. I mean, five, 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 um, and that's like that's making like two and three uh, walk totals make a lot worse because it's it, you know divided by five count things. Up. Yeah, and also he had one outing where he had six strikeouts and five walks. That's uh, skewing. So for the most part, he's going to walk two or three. And the last uh, three outings, it's uh, 13 strikeouts against uh, six walks, so a little bit better there. So another thing, too, it, that I like to look at when I'm looking at somebody with a walk rate that I think can improve is, of course, first pitch strike rate. And he's at right at average, which is 60. It's, it's average is 60.4%. He's at 60.5%. And um, the average walk rate is 8%. And so obviously first pitch strikes don't guarantee that you won't walk, guys. But they're not a bad first indicator to look at before you dig deeper into things, too. So he isn't necessarily getting behind all the time and then having to work out. So I think there's some improvement potential there for Tropiano. The ERA might regress or, or will regress, I will say, from 286, but the whip could come down as well. So if then you're looking at more of a 355 ERA with a 130 whip or, or uh, even better, it'd be great, obviously, if you get below 130. But even at 130 with the strikeouts that you're getting, I think that's workable for Tropiano, so I'm with you. I like him as well. All right, you know, yeah. that's going to wrap us up for the day. Hope everybody enjoyed that. Again, keep keep feeling free to send those out on Twitter. Guys, you want to hear us discuss, I kind of like this format, just kind of discussing uh, the guys that, that you folks want to hear. Uh, obviously, you know, and I throw in our own every once in a while, but by and large, you guys have been supplying us with with good names to, to dive into. And so, uh, obviously, next podcast will be Sunday with Jason and myself, and then you and I will be back on Monday. You know, actually – Memorial Day. We probably won't be back on Monday. I think Jason no. and I are going to go, but I don't know. Well, about yeah, Day. it's okay. It's a it's a holiday weekend. We might we may take a break, but um, I think it's also worth it if you want to give us feedback on uh, whether we should switch to Wednesday, Friday. My my book, the um, uh, Craft Beer Lovers Guide to uh, Baseball, is probably going to come out soon. Um, so I mean, it better. Jesus. <laughs> 
so uh, uh, I think that uh, once that happens, I've been using my Fridays a little bit to work on that. Okay. Uh, you know, we could we could do. I think in terms of spacing, it might be a little bit better. You know. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because Friday, be- and, I, and I'm I'm actually just flipping this on Paul right now. He doesn't know anything about this. So be easy on us. Tell us what you think, what you like, um, and then I'll have to talk to Paul and see if it works for him. But um, yeah, that sounds it, great. Let, definitely let us some, know. Uh, there's a lot of long weekends where the Monday is uh, the long weekend, and so if we switch to Friday, we could do it early and still get out early ourselves if we wanted to. Maybe so there's uh, on a Friday episode, we could also add in, you know, maybe some um, some better stuff for waivers. You know, hey, pick up this guy this weekend, or maybe- yeah, I think in terms of spacing, it's a little better because then you have the Sunday, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, it kind of breaks up the week pretty totally well. Totally agree, so. totally agree. So if you guys are interested in that, if you if you prefer that schedule, let us know. Of course, on Twitter at Sport at Eno Sarah's at Jason Collette. We always appreciate your feedback. Jason and I are likely to be back on Sunday. We t- we've talked about it. We think we're gonna be able to fit it in uh, for Sunday, but uh, I'll keep you posted on Twitter for sure. Eno, have a great rest of your week, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. <laughs>